read from Psalm 103 today. Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is of David. David says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are, how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like the, a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord my soul. So there's a, David talks about fearing the Lord in this Psalm and and he tells us what that means. Fearing the Lord means we obey the Lord's covenant. We do what the Lord tells us to do. So, and those who obey the Lord, the Lord is for us. He's not against us. He he fights for us. He does all these things for us, but we got to make sure that we're fearing the Lord by obeying the Lord's commands. So we've come to worship the Lord today. Uh, We're going to sing some songs together. Before we do that, let's pray the Lord's prayer together. Our father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Dead of night. 
And time. 
from Luke this morning. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The main reason that we're here is for the remembrance of Christ when he was on the cross, when his blood was flowing down the cross and his body broken, that is our remembrance. And as you take this bread and cup, I ask that you remember that. Father, we thank you so much for your son. We hope that you bless this cup and bless this bread and that we remember his sacrifice on the cross. For it's in Christ's name we pray.
and now is the time in the service for announcements. Matthew 25 Ministries um, accepts pill bottle donations, so we do ask that you bring them here instead of throwing them away. We'll take them over to Matthew 25, and they will do with them what they normally do. Usually what they do with them is there's some things locally they do, but when you hear about, like, world disasters or um, in, the, in the United States, they will um, put things in the bottles to be able to try to keep them dry and use them as a shipping mechanism. Um, we also accept used ink cartridges, and that just helps reduce any costs for office supplies we have here at the church. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. Uh, there's a list there of most frequently needed items. Donations can be dropped off here um, either any Sunday um, around service time or any Thursday, 5 to 7. Refit free dance fitness class for men and women, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 630 to 730 here in the sanctuary. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of every month at 2 p.m. So that is today. Today is the fourth Sunday of the month. Um, after service, we will have lunch together for those who are going over to serve in this capacity, and then we'll go over at 2. Breakfast is better when we eat together. We have two more weeks still before that happens. So Breakfast Fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. If you have any questions, you can talk to Carol. Empty Nesters Bible Study continues in their book study um, based on the Ten Commandments. It's at Ruth Liming's house at Thursday at 10 a.m. Look at this festive slide. Light Up Goshen Parade. So this is something we've done for as long as I've been coming here and probably beyond. Um, there is a sign-up on the welcome table outside. It's Saturday, November 19th. There is a parade after the parade. Heartland has always set up chili, hot chocolate, coffee. Last year we introduced caramel popcorn and the community just loves this. So if you're not able to stay, because it's usually very cold, um, please donate some chili. There's The welcome table has the, um, the sign up, so you can sign up for something on there. If you have any questions, you can let me know. Here's another wonderful thing, uh, Thanksgiving community dinner. We're going to be hosting that here in the church in the sanctuary. Um, we're going to be partnering with Bluebird Bus of Hope. If you've come or heard anything about the blue bus that's here on the property um, one Saturday a month, um, you'll know that they do really good works. They do life assessments and try to get people connected um, with medical, mental health, um, housing, and um, just mentorship. That's what they need in the community. So we are partnering with Bluebird Bus of Hope to put on this free Thanksgiving community dinner. Um, if you're interested in making something or serving, there's also a sign-up at the welcome desk. Ties and offerings can be given in person or given online. Weekly budgets listed here, and then some of the ministries that you support through giving at Heartland. So let's turn together in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 13 through 15. And we're going to read Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And when you get there, find that in your Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is Alive with Christ. Alive with Christ. In Colossians 2, 13 through 15, the Scriptures say, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, last week we talked about how to stay filled with God's fullness. We saw that God's fullness is found in Christ's body, 
which is the church. In the church, the fullness of God is available to everyone. And by living a careful and connected life in the church, we will stay filled with God's fullness. Now, in today's passage, Paul focuses on how the cross made it possible for us to become a part of the church. And we're going to see that there are at least two things God did through the cross to make us alive with Christ. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We ask you to open our eyes to the reality of what we study today. Give us wisdom and understanding from the Spirit so that we may know you better. And give us grace to live out the truths that you teach us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So the first thing God did through the cross to make us alive with Christ is God canceled our charges through the cross. In Colossians 2.13, Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. I want you to notice that this is past tense for those of us who are in Christ. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Now, we saw last week that the flesh is not our physical body. Our flesh is everything we were and the lifestyle that we lived outside of Christ. So Paul says we were all spiritually dead in our sins when we lived outside of Christ. And Paul gives us more details about that lifestyle in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Outside of Christ, we were all dead in our transgressions and our sins. We lived our lives following the sinful ways of this wicked world. We were all walking on the broad road that leads to destruction. We all gratified the sinful desires and thoughts of the flesh. We were all disobedient to God. And Paul gives us some insight into one source of our disobedience. He said, we follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And then Paul says, this ruler is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, Paul's talking about a supernatural being that drives people to disobedience. Now, the Greek word the NIV translates as work is the word energeo. It's where we get the English word energizing. So Paul's saying that there's a supernatural spiritual being who energizes people to be disobedient. And who is that supernatural being? Supernatural being is Satan. The outside of Christ, we all chose to continually obey the cravings of our sinful flesh. And the spirit of Satan gave us all the energy we needed to keep on pursuing evil desires. Our thoughts, were, our, our thoughts were sinful, our desires were sinful, our behavior was sinful. We were children of disobedience as we followed the devil who was our spiritual father. So we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, and we deserved God's wrath. We no longer stress these truths in the church like we should. We don't talk about the control that Satan has over this world and the spiritual war that we're all in. 
We don't discuss the real plight of people who are not in Christ. We act as if they're not that bad, right? We, and we act as if we were not that bad outside of Christ. I mean, we're, we weren't saints or angels, but we were still pretty good people. But that's a terribly twisted and unbiblical view of what people are outside of Christ. As Paul explains in Titus 3.3, 3, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. See, outside of Christ, we're selfish and we're sinful, detestable, disobedient, malicious, and misled. We're slaves to various sinful passions and pleasures. We're evil, we're envious, we side with Satan, and we're driven by our sinful desires, and we follow our flesh. And as Paul reminds us in Romans 3, 10 through 12, outside of Christ, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's God's view of all of humanity outside of Christ. There are people, sorry, there are no good people outside of Christ. See, we're dead in our sins. We're dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. We're by nature deserving of God's wrath because outside of Christ, our nature is corrupt and we despise God and his ways. But God wanted something different for humanity. So God did something for humanity. In Colossians 2.13, Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, Paul says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. All All of humanity deserves God's wrath for our disobedience to God. But even when we deserved God's wrath because of our disobedience, even when we hated God, even when we were enemies of God because of our evil behavior, well, God loved us. And because of God's great love for humanity, because of God's great love for his enemies, God showed great mercy to his enemies, us, the humans who were rebelling against him. And God demonstrated his love for humanity by making us alive with Christ through his grace through the cross. And Paul explains it this way in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He says, you, he said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did Christ come when he did? Why wasn't it a couple years earlier or maybe some years later? Why did he come when he did? Well, the scriptures say it was just the right time for God to demonstrate his great love for humanity. And how did he do that? He did it by helping us who were helplessly hopeless, by helping us who had no power to save ourselves, by saving us who were still sinners. God demonstrated his great love his great mercy and love for you and me by sending his divine son to become a divine human being so that through our union with God's son, we could live. So that through our union with the Lord Jesus, we could be changed by putting off our old self and putting on the new self, 
we were created to be in Christ. And in that new life, instead of being driven by the spirit of Satan, the spirit of disobedience, well, we now have the Holy Spirit of God as a gift who drives us to be obedient to God. And the reason any of this is possible is because of the cross. So when we were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ through the cross. And Paul goes on in Colossians 2, 13 through 14 to explain how God made us alive with Christ through the cross. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So outside of Christ, we're all legally indebted to death. See, we broke God's law, and we'd earned the wages of sin. And as Paul tells us in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. So we were condemned and had earned death and the punishment of eternal fire for our sins. But God made a way for our sins to be forgiven. God made a way for our sins to be taken away. How did he do this? Well, he nailed all of our charges to the cross. Our sin debt was nailed to the cross in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. God canceled all of our charges because through the cross, the Lamb of God bore our sins in his body and took all those sins away. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, talking about Jesus, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, there's a widespread misunderstanding about what God did with our sins through the cross. Some of that is based on misapplying scriptures like Psalm 32, 1 through 2. And David says, that, says this in Psalm 32, 1 through 2. He said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, people often read David as if he were saying the reason the blessed person is forgiven is because their sins are covered up. But it doesn't say covered up. It says covered. They read it as if he's saying covered up. And this is then applied to the cross. And this interpretation of these scriptures often results in a view of the cross as a cover-up operation. Because if Jesus died on the cross in your and my place so that God could cover up our sins, he covers up our sins by clothing us in Christ's blood or in Christ's righteousness. And it's this bad theology that leads to the idea of sinning saints. And what this means is nobody actually becomes righteous in Christ. We're still an ungodly mess, but God sees us as righteous because of what Jesus did. But the cross is not a cover-up operation. But when the scriptures speak about our sins being covered, it does not mean covered up. Covered is used in the same sense we use the word covered when we're talking about someone covering the cost of something. So think about it like this. Imagine that we're at a restaurant, we finish eating our meal, and the server brings us separate checks to show us what we owe. And you look over at me, and you notice that I'm frantically digging through my pockets, and I got a worried look on my face. And you realize I have no money to pay for, for my check. So you lean over to me, and you say, I'll cover 
your check. Now, what do you mean when you say that? Do you mean you're going to cover up my check with your hand and pretend like it's not there, pretend like I don't owe this, right? Is that what you mean? No, you mean that you're going to cover the cost of the check. You're going to pay for it. In that situation, I owed a debt that I could not pay, so you covered that debt for me. The debt is not there anymore. It's gone. It's a race. It's because somebody paid for it. Now, in the same way, through the cross, the cost of our sins was covered. Now, you and I were helpless and powerless. We could not pay the debt that we owed. So the Lord Jesus covered our debt. So he picked up the check and he paid for it. And the price he paid was the precious blood that he shed on the cross. Now, the Lord Jesus had committed no crimes. He committed no sin. And far from being a criminal, he was the only perfect person who ever lived. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes for crimes that he never committed. He goes for your crimes and for my crimes. As children of disobedience, you and I committed the crimes that deserve death. We were all criminals. And God had every right to leave us to ourselves and let us all die in our rebellion and sins. You deserve condemnation. I deserve condemnation. We all deserve God's wrath. But instead of condemning us, instead of giving us what we deserve, the gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ allowed his son to become a sacrifice to pick up the check, to take our sins on himself and pay a debt he did not owe so that he could take away our sins. The punishment that brought us peace with God, along with the sins of the world, were laid on God's divine human son on the cross. By the wounds of our suffering Savior, the ungodly and unrighteous can be healed. Not left unrighteous as we're covered with Christ's blood, but healed, meaning we are changed so we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. God doesn't just see us as righteous. He makes us righteous. He changes us, makes us a different person, changes our behavior so we're not unrighteous anymore. See, in Christ, the cost of sin is paid once and for all. We can die to sin and live for righteousness, live in righteousness because God made us alive with Christ through the healing wounds of the cross. The cure to heal all humanity from our sins for all time was accomplished by Christ or what Christ did through the cross. And that cure is still available to the whole world. But where do we find that cure and how do we gain access to that cure? Well, I'm going to answer those questions in just a little while. But first, let's talk about a second thing God did to make us alive with Christ through the cross. So God canceled our charges through the cross and God conquered our captors through the cross. Now, outside of Christ, we are all a part of the same kingdom. We were all under the domain of darkness, ruled by the spirit of Satan who energizes the disobedient. We were all under the sway of Satan. We were captives to the spiritual rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, there are real spiritual beings and real spiritual battles going on all around us. Forces we can't even see fighting for the souls of humanity. In our own, and it, sorry, and in our humanity, on our own, we're all helpless against these evil forces. There were no match for the rulers and authorities that hold us captive. So we need someone to save us. 
We need someone to save us from our captors. And that someone is the Lord Jesus. And in Colossians 2.15, Paul tells us how the Lord conquered our captors. Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, this language is meant to draw our minds to what happened when military forces conquered their enemies. So the people on the winning side would all be gathered together in a public place, and there in front of everyone, the mighty men of the defeated military would be stripped of their armor and of their weapons. And this was a vivid picture that showed everyone that these rulers and the authorities had no more power to conquer. They had no more power to hold anybody captive. And that's what Jesus did through the cross. He disarmed our enemies. Jesus took away their weapons. Jesus stripped them of their armor and their power in public. And as we read in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Through his death, Jesus disarmed the devil. Jesus disarmed all the rulers and the authorities and their power over us. Jesus trampled down death by his death. You know, the powers of darkness made a huge mistake when they killed Jesus because his death was their undoing. And this was God's brilliant plan before the foundation of the world. The cross was not some afterthought, not something that God came up with later on. God had this plan in place before he ever created anything. He had a plan to have his son come into this world, not with guns blazing or swinging a sword. No, God's plan was to conquer our captors through his divine human son's death on the cross. God conquered our captors through the cross. And what this means is Satan has no more power over us when we are connected with Christ. Listen to that again. Satan has no more power over us when we're connected with Christ. And neither do the powers of darkness. In Christ, we're free from the powers of darkness, freed from the powers of our captors, free from the power and the practice of sin through the cross. Too often, we Christians cower in the corner being bullied by Satan. We live as if nothing changed when we came to Christ. We still live in the past as if we still belong to this present world. We listen to the lies of our enemy. Satan likes to whisper things to us like this. You'll never be free from that sin. You'll never be free from that addiction. You'll always be an alcoholic. You'll always be a drug addict. You'll always be addicted to pornography. You'll always be all of these things. You'll always be in bondage to something. And you'll never be any better than you are now. Your past sins are all, will always control your life. You know, Satan constantly says stuff like that to God's people. And Christians eat that stuff up. We nod our heads in agreement, and Satan wins. But we need to see those state statements from Satan for what they are. Those are all lies. Lies. Right from the lying lips of the father of lies. In John 8, 44, Jesus said this about Satan. He said, he, had, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for his, he is a liar 
and the father of lies. The devil is a murdering liar. And that's not just what he does, that is who he is. Lying is a part of his nature. There's no truth in him. Every word the devil speaks is a flat-out lie or a half-truth that's designed to deceive people. This has always been the main tactic of Satan and the evil powers and authorities. So though they have been stripped of their powers through the cross, they still seek to keep us captive through deception and lies. So we need to learn to stop listening to Satan's lies. We've got to learn to counter Satan's lies with the truth. And the truth is, in Christ and through the cross, we are no longer bound by Satan. We don't have to be bound to those addictions that bound us outside of Christ. We're freed from the power and the practice of sin. We're freed from the power of our enemies. God conquered our captors through the cross of Christ. Now, a very long time ago, the Lord swore an oath to Abraham. Then the Lord reaffirmed this oath several times in the Scriptures. And Luke records what Zechariah said about this oath in Luke 1, 69 through 75. He says, The Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, And to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now the horn of salvation the Lord raised up is the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised up on a cross and there he defeated our enemies publicly when he died for us. Jesus was then buried and then God raised him up from the grave. And in doing that he defeated death which is one of our greatest enemies. And now through our union with Jesus, we can serve God without fear of our enemies. No fear of sin, no fear of Satan, no fear of death or the grave. We can now serve God in holiness and in righteousness. We actually become righteous in Christ because through the cross, God canceled our charges and God conquered our captives. Now before we close, let's go back to the question I asked earlier. Remember, I said in Christ, the cost of sin is paid once and for all. The cure to heal all of humanity for all time from all sin was accomplished by Christ, by what Christ did through the cross. And that cure is still available to the whole world. And then I asked, where do we find that cure and how do we apply that cure? How do we have that cure cure applied to us? Now, these are the most important questions we'll ever ask. And knowing the right answer to those questions is essential for salvation. So where do we find the cure that Jesus procured for us through the cross? Well, we find it in Christ in the church. So the church is Christ's body through which we gain access to what God accomplished in Christ through the cross. So how do we apply the cure of the cross in the church? You know, for many years, people who claim to speak for God have been telling people to apply the cure of the cross in the wrong way. They tell people to ask Jesus into their hearts or pray a sinner's prayer. And then all their sins will be wiped away because of what Jesus did on the cross. But asking Jesus into our hearts and praying a sinner's prayer are both modern inventions 
they're both examples of the human traditions that we're supposed to avoid. Those traditions nullify the word of God and are not in line with the apostolic faith. The apostles of our Lord teach us that if we want God, what God promises us in Christ, if we want the forgiveness, the removal of our sins, if we want the freedom from our captors, the healing that God promises us through the cross, well, the only way to have those promises is to be united to Christ. So the cure of the cross is applied in the church when we are united to Christ. So then that brings up this question. How do we get united to Christ? Well, we do not get united with Christ by asking him to come into our hearts or saying a prayer. Again, that's modern inventions that nullify what the word of God actually tells us to do. How do we get united with Christ? Well, Paul answers that question in the passage right before today's passage in uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 12. Paul says, you were also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The healing balm of Christ's cross that cancels our charges and the power of the cross that conquers our captors are applied to us when we are united with Christ in baptism. In baptism, our sinful flesh is cut off. In baptism, the old person we were outside of Christ is buried with Christ. We rise out of the water healed, a brand new person empowered by God to live a new life. We're free from condemnation. There are no charges against us. We're no longer God's enemies. We're no longer under God's wrath. And we're no longer held captive by our enemies. Why? Because the person we were outside of Christ was crucified with Christ along with our sins. The person we were outside of Christ is dead and is buried in the waters of baptism. And we rise with Christ, free to live a new life, empowered by God's grace. So to be made alive with Christ, we've got to be united to him in baptism. Now I want to draw your attention to a very important phrase in Colossians 2.12. Paul says, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Notice this phrase, the working of God. Remember back in the beginning of this message, we talked about the spirit of Satan who is now at work in the disobedient. And I said the words at work, they mean Satan energizes people, energizes people to be disobedient. Well, that's the same word that Paul uses here to talk about God. So when we're baptized into Christ, we do so with the understanding that God is at work in the water. God does something to us through the water when we're baptized. When we come, come in faith to the waters of baptism, God energizes that water And he performs a miracle in us. When we're baptized into Christ, what Christ did through the cross is applied to us. Our debt is paid. God cancels our charges. We're free from the penalty, the power, and the practice of sin. And we're free from slavery to Satan and the fear of death. We're born again. We're made alive with Christ in the waters of baptism. Now, that may not be as easy as asking Jesus into your heart or praying a sinner's prayer. But that's what the scriptures tell us to do to become a part of Christ's body. To have the cross applied to us, we must be baptized into Christ. So let's learn to live our lives in light of this truth. 
If we've been baptized into Christ, the cure of the cross has been applied to our lives. We are dead to sin and alive to God with Christ. And we can now live a new life, free from our enemies, free from the penalty, the power, and the practice of sin, as we're energized by God's grace to live as Christ lived. And that's what the entire thing was about. Jesus recreating humanity in God's image so that we can live the type of life that we were supposed to live before Adam and Eve fell. So we can live a life where God's image is restored in us and we look exactly like Jesus. That's what God wants for all of us. And that's what he accomplished through the cross, through the death, resurrection, burial, and resurrection of his son. And as we're attached to him, we become like him. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word again. We thank you so much that you allowed us to gather here to hear your word this morning. Thank you for the freedom we have in this country to do so. Lord, I pray that the things we've heard today, again, that you would open our understanding up so that we can truly understand these things, not only understand them, Lord, not only be hearers of your word, but to be doers as well. Give us your grace to walk in the path you've uh, called us to walk as we live our lives for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So they're going to sing a final song. Um, Before they do that, I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing. But before I do that, I want to say, if, if you have never been baptized into Christ, you're not a part of Christ's body, then Come and see me after church because I want to tell you everything you need to know before you make that decision to follow the Lord. But that's the most important decision anybody can ever make because outside of Christ, again, you're dead, you will not live, you're, you, will, you will die in your sins and you will spend eternity in hell and nobody wants that for you. God doesn't want that for you. I don't want that for you. So I plead with you to take God's message seriously and give your life over to God. Be baptized into Christ so you can learn to live for him. So I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You were the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation. Death go.
stand against what a powerful name 